the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. I'm so glad you could join me on the program Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we typically take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about. We talk about God. We talk about the historical Jesus. We talk about the Bible. We talk about Worldviews and world religions, and of course, we talk about the past, history, we talk about the future, prophecy, but we also talk about the here and the now. If you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935, and of course, there's lots going on in the news, and I'm happy to talk about those things, but also, it is President's Day, and so I'm happy to talk about presidents today. And, of course, I grew up in a time where you had a day off for Lincoln's birthday and you had a day off for George Washington's birthday, and they've sort of combined them together into one generic holiday. And so for many of you, this you know, you might have had the day off, you were... Um, got to skip school or skip work, or if you're a federal employee, or if you deliver the mail, or if you work at a bank. But um, again, if you'd like to join me on this program, you can simply pick up the phone and dial the number 303-873-1935. 303-873-1935. There was I'm making an effort to uh, get George Barna on the program. He, of course, is very, very well known for um, research that he does on the American condition. And he um, literally did a, a survey. And again, I want to get to the to the president's day, but this is. This is interesting because George Barna has basically, he's with the Cultural Research Center, and he has noted in his latest research, and shouldn't come as any surprise to anyone who's listening, that the United States is deeply fragmented according to national surveys. And uh, George Barna points out that the future hinges on spiritual renewal, not politics. And then Barna says this, he says, foundational beliefs of Americans are so fragmented that the nation is presently incapable of developing united perspective on who America is and how we're going to move forward. And then he says, this is, this is interesting, he says, quote, placing the burden of uniting a country so divided on the shoulders of a president or a political party is unrealistic. And so what I wanted to ask George Barna was, well, if the country is so divided 
and it's unrealistic to place the burden on the shoulders of a president or a political party, then why are the American people desperate to put it on the shoulders of a president or on a political party? And again, there's so much to this because, again, when I think about a country so deeply divided and I think about Lincoln coming into office on the wings of such profound division that it's going to morph into a hot war and that uniting the country, uniting the country only came by compulsion. And so I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that, but He's talking about the American Worldview Inventory. It's an annual survey that George Barna at the Cultural Research Center conducts. And um, the 2024 survey, which is the fifth national survey that's been conducted by the uh, Cultural Research Center, points out several different interesting things. And... um, he basically talks about the well i'm going to just read the the paragraph to you it says the american worldview inventory identified a number of pers- perspectives about which a majority of americans disagree now so he 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 collates collects a number of different things that americans just don't seem to be able to agree upon. One of those is the basis of truth. Another is whether other people deserve to be respected. Again, he points out the importance of the God of Israel as an authority, uh, source, guide for life, belief about the value of human life, acceptance of the existence of absolute moral truths, the existence of Satan, the means to happiness in life, the morality of intentionally deceiving other people, morality of consensual premarital sexual relations, personal commitment to discerning and doing God's will, appropriate relationships to the treatment of animals. So according to George Barna, while the survey data reveals a nation that longs for guidance and desires hope, it also suggests that people are seeking those things from sources that can't provide it. And then he points out a national incidence of dominant worldviews in the United States, and some of the worldviews that he highlights is syncretism, a biblical worldview, Mormonism, nihilism, postmodernism, secular humanism, animism, Eastern mysticism, Islam, Judaism, Marxism, moralistic therapeutic deism, Satanism, Wicca. So when you start going through all of these different isms and worldviews, it was fascinating to me that the number one worldview that was more than all the others combined, if you will, is syncretism, which is a kind of amalgamation, a kind of worldview buffet. 
And I found this fascinating. I can't wait to have George Barna on to ask him the question, well, what will unite America? And then he talked about, again, it hinges on spiritual renewal. And I'm wondering what that might look like or how that might happen. And obviously, I don't think you can, quote, unquote, fabricate spiritual renewal. But on President's Day, we'll talk a little bit about presidents in the in the upcoming um, segments. So before I go there, though, I want to just, again, remind you, if you're sick and tired of achy joints and you dread the idea of surgery, you can call QC Kinetics today. And remember, the state of healthcare is always changing. The old ideas like steroids and surgery are no longer your only options. Regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics is transforming lives with innovative, non-surgical, drug-free treatments that deliver lasting results. So if you have knee pain, back pain, shoulder pain, no matter what kind of pain, from arthritis or injury, you should consider QC Kinetics. It's a revolutionary approach that can get you long-term relief and no downtime. You should make 2024 the year you reclaim your mobility, reclaim your independence, walk, run, play, live without the harmful danger and trauma of surgery. Call 303-900-8986. That's 303-900-8986. I'll have more when we come back. This is Gino Tracy. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Numbers 303-873-1935. If you'd like to join me on the program, 303-873-1935. I was talking about this research uh, that's being done by George Barna. And again, he was pointing out in his research that America is so deeply divided and that he doesn't see a political solution on the horizon. He's hoping for a spiritual solution. And I couldn't help but think of um, something that was being reported in a number of different News outlets, including CBN and, of all places, um, the New York Times bestselling Christian author, uh, Jenny Allen, is reporting that the Spirit of God is moving on the hearts of thousands of college students. And this time it was at Florida State University in Tallahassee. She posted on Instagram and a Facebook on Friday. She shared a photo of a student who'd just been baptized in the university's Westcott Fountain on Thursday night. And so literally hundreds, she said, maybe even thousands of students came forward to trust Jesus. Um, on the, the, I'm reading it. It says on the Instagram page, we can't explain what's happening here apart from the Spirit. And in the second post, Alan shared a video showing hundreds of Florida State University students gathered around the fountain singing and praising God. 4,500 Florida State University, this is, again, one of the biggest party schools in the nation. Uh, Students confessed sin and struggles and apparently... um, are trusting Christ as Savior. And so it's very, very interesting. I'm hoping that um, 
we're seeing something amazing. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And as I'm fond of saying, producer Jim is standing by the phone to take your call. All you have to do is just pick up that phone. Uh, dial the number 303-873-1935. He'll ask you what your question or comment is. We'll make every effort to get you on the program. And, of course, um, just talking a little bit about presidents, there have been 46 United States presidents. The tallest was Abraham Lincoln. He was 6'4". The shortest was James Madison. Producer Jim, how tall do you think the shortest president of the United States was? 5'2". 5'4". You were close. Okay, got a guess for the heaviest president? 205. 332. 332 pounds. William Howard Taft. They had to put in a special bathtub for him in the White House. So William Howard Taft was about as big as an NFL lineman. <laughs> How tall was he? I should know that. Uh, let me find out here. Hey, Siri. How tall was William Howard Taft? William Howard Taft was six feet. Okay. The, the knowledge.com has him at 5'11". So Siri says six feet. So 5'11", six feet, six feet-ish, 332. Picture a refrigerator with a head on. So four died in office. Harrison, Taylor, Harding, Franklin Roosevelt. So four were assassinated. Lincoln. Garfield, McKinley, and Kennedy. One resigned, Nixon. One has cognitive impairment so profound that he might have to resign, Joe Biden. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, he does have cognitive impairment. What will happen to him is anybody's guess. The youngest elected president was John F. Kennedy, age 43, but the youngest to serve was actually Theodore Roosevelt. He assumed office at age 42. Some people will often say, who was the youngest president of the United States? For those who say the youngest elected, it's John F. Kennedy. For those who say who actually served, it's, uh, it's Teddy Roosevelt, because, again, he assumes the office when McKinley was assassinated. The oldest person to be president, Joe Biden, he assumed office at age 78. And so, again, if for whatever reason um, either Trump or Biden are elected, that record will be broken. Did you know that President's Day is actually... George Washington's birthday, typically. So Washington's birthday was officially recognized by an act of Congress for government offices in Washington, D.C. in 1879 and for all federal offices in 1885. So in 1971, the Uniform Monday Holiday Act was created. Guess why? To create more three-day weekends 
So they moved the observance of Washington's birthday to the third Monday in February, which happens to be today. So President's Day starts off as Washington's birthday. Abraham Lincoln was also born in February. So a a number of states include him in the observance, and then still other states include all of the presidents. And so George Washington was born February 22nd, 1732. He was unanimously chosen as the Army's commander-in-chief. He was unanimously chosen as president of the Constitutional Convention. He was unanimously chosen as the first United States president. He was unanimously reelected to a second term. It's never happened before or since. Obviously, he's the first. So can you imagine going into the election cycle, having that kind of unity. Now, George Washington was an Anglican, and after the revolution, he became an Episcopalian. And George's great-great-grandfather, the Reverend Lawrence Washington, was an Anglican minister who taught at Oxford. Lawrence and his wife, Amphilus Twiggin had a son named John. And when the Puritans won the English Civil War in 1651, Anglican ministers were demoted. Lawrence was reduced to being an assistant minister, a vicar at an impoverished parish in Essex, England. It was during that time that John Washington, George Washington's great-grandfather, apprenticed as a merchant in London, and then he sailed as the second officer on a ship to the colony of Virginia in order to purchase tobacco. And in 1657, when a storm partially sank their vessel on the Potomac River, John swam ashore. And while the ship was being repaired, John stayed at the home of a planter, Colonel Nathaniel Pope. He fell in love with his daughter, Anne, And he never went back to England. And John and Anne married, and her father gave them 700 acres in Westmoreland County. And John Washington became a successful planter, a member of the Virginia House of Burgesses. He was a militia leader during Nathaniel Bacon's rebellion against Governor William Berkeley in 1676. And a local Anglican church was renamed Washington in honor of John Washington. And when John died, he left the church a tablet. And on the tablet was the Ten Commandments. His will stated, quote, In the name of God, amen. I, John Washington of Washington Parish, in the county of Westmoreland in Virginia, gentlemen being of good and perfect memory, thanks be to God Almighty, and calling to remembrance the uncertain state of this transitory life that all flesh must yield to death, do make, constitute, and ordain this my last will and testament. And the oldest of John's sons 
was Lawrence, who would become the grandfather of George Washington. And that, my friends, is the rest of the story. 303-873-1935. So much to the story of Washington. I'll be right back. Yes, is someone making more? 303-873-1935. That's the number if you'd like to join me on the program. It's President's Day. And I was talking a little bit about, well, presidents. And um, I'm going to get back to that subject. But, again, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. My friend Jim Dennison also has a little bit of a – not a little bit. He has some – crazy coincidences, if you want to use that term, for President's Day. And um, he talks about the fact that when Booth saved Lincoln's life, yeah, he, he says, finding hope in happenstance. And he says, in honor of President's Day, he, we begin with this coincidence, he says, In 1863, Robert Todd Lincoln, the president's oldest child, fell onto the tracks at the Jersey City Railroad Station. He was pulled to safety by Edwin Booth, who was the older brother of John Wilkes Booth. Here's another coincidence. Wilmer McLean owned the places where the Civil War began, that is the first battle of Bull Run on his Virginia plantation, 1861, and ended at his Appomattox courthouse where Lee, General Lee, surrenders to General Grant in April of 1865. And then he says, many have noted the striking coincidences between Lincoln and John F. Kennedy. Among them, both had seven letters in their last name. They were elected 100 years apart, 1860 and 1960. Both were assassinated on a Friday in the presence of their wives. Both assassins were known by three names with 15 letters in each complete name. John Wilkes Booth, Lee Harvey Oswald. Oswald shot Kennedy from a warehouse and fled into a theater. Booth shot Kennedy in a theater and fled into a barn, which was a kind of a warehouse. Both succeeding vice presidents were Southern Democrats and former United States senators named Johnson with 13 letters in their names. They were born 100 years apart, 1808 and 1908. Then Jim Dennison says, of course, we can find coincidences nearly everywhere if we look hard enough. Consider that the famed physicist Stephen Hawking died on the birthday of Albert Einstein. And Pi Day, that's P-I, not P-I-E, March 14th, when the date reads 3.14, which is the first three numerals of Pi. 
that three U.S. presidents died on July 4th, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson in 1826, and then James Monroe in 1831. In a day when 20% of Americans are satisfied with the direction of our country, he says with tragedies like the shooting in Minnesota yesterday, last week's heartbreak in Kansas City, then you couple that with suicide, exhaustion, social isolation on the rise. Is there some comfort as we look at what looks like what seems to be chaotic? It's interesting to me. It's interesting that there seems to be design in history. And then he writes the cure for our democracy. Remember earlier I was talking about George Barna, who was talking about the things that we are deeply divided over and that there doesn't seem to be a social, cultural, or political solution to that division. By the way, the number is 303-873-1935. He says, this is again Jim Dennison, he says, David Brooks' latest New York Times column is headlined, The Cure for What Ails Our Democracy. In it, he makes an appeal for value pluralism, an idea he associates with the British philosopher Isaiah Berlin. As Brooks explains, quote, We all want to pursue a variety of goods, But unfortunately, these goods can be in tension with one another. Therefore, rather than imposing our values on others in a battle of good versus evil, we should seek to balance competing goods in a way that benefits society as a whole. What he seems to be talking about is a kind of shared morality, not my morals or your morals, but our morals. He says, surely everyone has some set of beliefs they're convinced everyone else should adopt. Like, well, prohibiting murder, protecting innocent people. But as Hamas's October 7th invasion of Israel and Russia's invasion of Ukraine show, not everyone agrees. Scripture says of all who reject God's word and God's will, quote, they grope in the darkness without light. That's Job chapter 12, verse 25. However, there is a true light which gives light to everyone. John 1, 9, there's a light that has come into the world. And so the Bible says that Jesus had to be like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation. That's a great big word, which means the satisfying solution for the sins of the people. That's Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Now, because he himself has suffered when tempted or tested, he is able to help those who are being tempted or tested, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. Augustine explained, in Christ, 
you were tempted. For Christ received his flesh from your nature, but by his own power gained glory for you. Therefore he suffered temptation in your nature, but by his own power gained victory for you. Augustine continues, If in Christ we have been tempted, in him we overcome the devil. Do you think only of Christ's temptations and fail to think of his victory? See yourself as tempted in him and see yourself as victorious in him. He could have kept the devil from himself, but if he were not tempted, he could not teach you how to triumph over temptation. And so then Jim Dennison continues, he says, quote, Now, when we turn to Christ with our challenges and trust him for our victory, we can claim the fact that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. He, of course, is quoting Psalm chapter 30, verse 5. And we can know how the testing of our faith produces endurance. That's from James chapter 1, verse 3. So he says, in the face of overwhelming national and personal crisis, the prophet proclaimed confidently to God, you are my hope in the day of doom. Now think about that passage of scripture in Jeremiah seventeen seventeen. You are my hope in the day of doom. It seems to me that a spiritual solution seems to be the only solution for such a deep divide on this President's Day 2024. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I know that I'm all over the board on this President's Day. The number is 303-873-1935. I was talking a little bit about uh, the amazing genealogy of George Washington. And George Washington, again, John Washington was George Washington's great-grandfather. And John Washington apprenticed as a merchant in London. And then he sailed as an officer on a ship to the colony of Virginia to purchase tobacco. And in 1657, a storm partially sank the vessel in the Potomac River. John swims ashore And while the ship's being repaired, John stayed at the home of a planter named Colonel Nathaniel Pope. He falls in love with his daughter, Anne. John never goes back to England. John and Anne marry. Her father gives them 700 acres in Westmoreland County. John Washington becomes a planter, a member of the Virginia House of Burgesses. He's a militia leader during Nathaniel Bacon's rebellion against Governor Berkeley in 1676. And again, a local Anglican church was renamed Washington in in honor of John Washington. When John Washington dies, he leaves the church a tablet of the Ten Commandments. 
and then he um, makes a will, and then as he's making his will, he says, quote, First, being heartily sorry from the bottom of my heart for my sins past, most humbly desiring forgiveness of the same from the Almighty God, my Savior and Redeemer, in whom and by the merits of Jesus Christ, I trust and believe assuredly to be saved and to have full remission and forgiveness of all my sins, and that my soul with my body at the general resurrection shall rise again with joy. Sounds like a guy who knows Jesus. The oldest of John Washington's sons was Lawrence, who was the grandfather of George Washington. Lawrence married Mildred Warner, who was the daughter of Colonel Augustine Warner, Jr., who, by the way, was a um, an ancestor of Queen Elizabeth II, and therefore an ancestor of the current reigning King of England. Lawrence and Mildred had three children, the second being Augustine, who would become George Washington's father. When Lawrence died in 1698, Mildred married George Gale, moved back to England with her children. When Mildred died, a relative in America petitioned to get custody of her children, including Augustine. They returned to Virginia in 1704. Augustine Washington served as a vestryman in the Anglican Truru Parish. He and his wife, Jane Butler, had two sons who lived to adulthood. One was Lawrence. The other one was Augustine Jr. Both Lawrence and Augustine Jr. went back to England to study in the prestigious Appleby Grammar School. Jane dies in 1729. Augustine marries Mary Ball in 1731. Together they have six children with the oldest, George Washington, being born February 22nd. 1732. Augustine died in 1743 when George was only 11 years old. George hand copied the rules of civility and decent behavior and company and conversation in 1744, which included rule number 110, quote, labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience, unquote. George's older half-brother Lawrence fought in the British Navy under Admiral Edward Vernon, who captured Porto Bello and Panama from, the, the, from Spain in 1739. When Lawrence returned to Virginia in 1742, he renamed his farm after his Navy admiral, Mount Vernon. And that would become George Washington's farm, Mount Vernon. Lawrence married Anne Fairfax. Her father, Colonel William Fairfax, was the collector of customs in Barbados, the chief justice and governor of the Bahamas, as well as the first cousin of Thomas Fairfax, who was the largest landowner in America with 5 million acres. The only person who comes close to that now is Bill Gates. 
I'm wondering if Bill Gates has close to 5 million acres, but that's another story. Lawrence arranged for George at age 15 to begin a career in the British Navy as a cabin boy, but his mother, Mary Ball Washington, refused. George complied with his mother's wishes. He went home in 1748. 16-year-old George Washington was employed by Thomas Fairfax to survey the western area of his vast estate. In 1751, Lawrence Washington contracted tuberculosis. In hopes that a change of climate would help him recover, doctors recommended he travel to Barbados, where his father-in-law had been the collector of customs. He brought along his 17-year-old half-brother, George. This was the only time that George would ever leave the American continent, but he would go to Barbados. In Barbados, George contracted smallpox, but he managed to recover. That providentially inoculated George so that he was immune during the Revolutionary War, where more soldiers died of smallpox than died in battle. Lawrence died in 1752, and his Mount Vernon estate was eventually inherited by George, making him one of the youngest and largest landowners in Virginia. And so, from 1753 to 1758, George served in the French and Indian War. He was a colonel under General Edward Braddock, who was the commander of the British forces in America. George Washington miraculously survived the Battle of Monagella in 1755. Braddock was killed, leaving George in command. And on July 18, 1755, Washington wrote from Fort Cumberland to his brother, John A. Washington, by the all-powerful dispensations of providence, I have been protected beyond all human probability or expectation, for I had four bullets through my coat, two horses shot out from under me. I escaped unhurt, although death was leveling my companions on every side of me. Here's what he's basically saying. Something kept me from being killed. He calls it the all-powerful dispensations of providence. It was his way of saying, God must have wanted me alive. So, when you're thinking about President's Day, and you're wondering, well, what does that have to do with God? Well, it has everything to do with a God who providentially keeps George Washington alive long enough to become the only president of the United States who was unanimously elected and unanimously re-elected to a second term. That's pretty amazing. This is Gino Geraci. I'll be back. 303-873-1935. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.